0: We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Get ready to make a declaration this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Just read one verse of scripture from there. You've heard me read this several times. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Vision 6 and verse 17. Paul is talking to us of the, about the armor of God, the armor that we wear in our spiritual conflict with uh, the powers of darkness. And he tells us this in verse 17. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So he's saying, guys, when you're fighting against the enemy, now here's your sword, the sword of the spirit. What is it? It's the word of God. So God's Word is our offensive weapon against the enemy. The question is, how do we use the sword? And you heard me share this many times. It's by speaking the Word with our mouth. Revelation 19, I think it's verse 18, where it says that out of His mouth went a two-edged sword. Talking about Jesus. Out of His mouth went that double-edged sword. So we have to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do you use that sword? Out of your mouth. Must come the spoken word, which is the double-edged sword against, of the word of God against the enemy. Amen? So speak God's word in your spiritual conflict against the enemy. As you go on the offensive and counteract what the enemy is doing against you. Against your life. Against your family. Against anything that has to do with you. Use the word of God. How? By speaking God's word. The spoken word out of your mouth is a double-edged sword against the enemy. Amen? Let's stand up to our feet this morning as we use the Word of God, as we speak God's Word, allow it to go forth out of our mouths as a double-edged sword against the enemy. I want you to lift your Bible up high and say this with me. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word, and I live by his word. Christ is my master, and to him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. For quite some time, we've been uh, wanting to do an in-depth thorough study on the kingdom of God. And uh, over the years, we've done bits and pieces, you know, of messages here and there on the kingdom of God. We talked a little bit here and there about the kingdom of God. And, but I was, I was always uh, wanting to do a thorough study on it and just get down to the depths of it and chew on the meat and, and just digest all of it that's in the word. I don't want to say meat; everything I'm bringing. And just really get into it and. Um, And uh, so we're going to start doing that this morning. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God and spend maybe the next two months on that one theme. And uh, just try to get into everything the Bible, the New Testament teaches us about the kingdom of God. And it will affect our thinking. It will affect the way we live once we understand what the Bible teaches us about the kingdom of God. Now interestingly there are the Bible talks about the kingdom of God in the New Testament at least about 150 times. Just as many times as it talks about who we are in Christ. Almost just to the same extent it also talks to us about the kingdom of God. So it's a pretty important thing for us to understand, know and work out and live in our everyday life. So when you talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about God's the king's domain the domain of the king, the rule, the government, the reign of the king. We're talking about the realm of his influence and his authority and governments, the kingdom of God. And uh, in the New Testament, you find two phrases, the kingdom of God and also the kingdom of heaven. And uh, sometimes, you know, we unnecessarily trouble ourselves in trying to draw distinctions when those distinctions are really not evident in the word of God. And so... What I would present to us is that these two terms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, are synonymous. They mean the same thing. The kingdom of God refers to whose kingdom it is. It is God's kingdom. That's why it's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven refers to its origin, where it comes from. It comes from heaven, not from earth. But they both refer to the same thing. It refers to the rule, the reign, the influence The government of God in the hearts and lives of people. So that's the way we are going to treat these two terms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. We will use it interchangeably. We will all understand that it's talking about God's rule, God's reign, God's realm of influence and government and authority. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Let's begin by a very interesting verse. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 25 and we'll look at verse 34. In Matthew 25 and verse 34... Jesus is giving us a picture of the end of the days. And he's talking to us about the sheep and about the goats. And how at the end of the age, the sheep and the goats will be separated. And uh, here's what will happen. In Matthew twenty five thirty four. It's Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from when? From the foundation of the world. Very powerful verse. There's a lot in this. He says, you know, I want you to come and inherit the kingdom which was prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. Now in the New Testament, this phrase, the foundation of the world is found only 10 times. So this is one of the 10 times. You know, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. But now we're talking about a kingdom that was prepared from the foundation of the world. What it simply means is this, that this was in the heart of God even before creation began. Amen? So the kingdom of God is not something that God planned in retrospect. But the kingdom of God was something he always had it in his heart. It was his intent. Before creation, the kingdom, before the foundation of the world, which means one of the purposes of creation ties back to this intent, this desire in the heart of God to have a kingdom. You are with me? It wasn't, you know, something that God taught up, you know, after Adam and Eve came along and uh, you know, Abraham came and David came. Oh, David, David's a king. So maybe I should think about having a kingdom. It wasn't something like that. It was even before creation, it was the intent of God to have a kingdom prepared for you. Meaning he wanted to have a kingdom of people, you and me. What kind of people? Many times when you think about a kingdom, a king, we think of the people as subjects. Slaves, servants. But that was not God's intent. He want Jesus said, come inherit the kingdom. Slaves serve in the kingdom. Subjects serve in the kingdom. But he said, I want you to inherit the kingdom. To inherit means to become an heir of the kingdom. So God's intent was to have a kingdom of people where these people would not be slaves or subjects, but they will be heirs in the kingdom. And that was in his heart before he began creation. Before he began the world. Are you listening this morning? So the kingdom of God is part of God's original intent. God's original purpose in all of creation. I want to have a kingdom of heirs. Of people who will be kings with me in that kingdom. Not a kingdom of subjects and slaves. But a kingdom of heirs People who will be heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. Before the foundation of the world. And so when you now go to the book of Genesis, the first chapter, and look at God's creation, you now need to see it in the light of what he originally intended to do. He intended to have, prepare a kingdom for a people who will be heirs with, of that kingdom. And now he begins the execution of that intention. So Genesis chapter 1. The kingdom introduced. Verses 27 and 28. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them. So He's talking to them, meaning both man and woman. So it's not just for the men. It's for both man and woman. He blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion. There's the kingdom being introduced. Have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God blesses man and woman. He says, you know, listen, I want you to subdue. I want you to have dominion. God introduced his kingdom right there in Genesis 1, 26, 27. He wanted to have a kingdom of people who would be heirs with him in ruling, in managing, and executing government of that kingdom. And he begins to unfold that plan. He creates man and woman. He says, I want you to subdue, have dominion. This is your realm. You're going to be part of this kingdom, which I'm preparing for a people who will be heirs with me. Amen. I think this is very powerful. The kingdom of God is not something that comes up suddenly in the New Testament, but the kingdom of God was in the heart of God from the very beginning. It was part of his original purpose and intent for you and me. Now, you and I know what happened after that. Adam and Eve fell because of the fall. This, this whole kingdom plan was interrupted. But interestingly, the Bible also says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, the plan of redemption was already in place before creation. Yet another amazing thing. So when Adam and Eve fell, God said, I knew this was coming. Plan of redemption comes in what I want you to see is this, that the plan of redemption is not just to save you and me from sin, not just to rescue you and me from Satan's grip, but the plan of redemption is to bring us back into that place of experiencing His original intent, a kingdom prepared for a people who will be heirs with Him. Amen? It's not just to say, I'm forgiven. No, it's to bring you back into that original intent, a kingdom prepared for a people who will be heirs with him. Now, there are many things that happened in the fall. But in this context, there are two things I want to bring to our attention. When Adam and Eve sinned and, and the fall took place, first, the lordship of the earth, which Adam had, was now handed off to the devil. So devil, Satan gained control, temporary control of the earth. And secondly, man's concept of being a king, of being an heir of God, was marred. And instead, he went into subjection to the enemy. Therefore, developing a mindset of slavery. A mindset of being in subjection. Whereas God never intended that. He wanted a kingdom of heirs. People who will work with him to rule and govern the earth. Are we together on this? So that was marred. So I believe that in redemption... God wants to restore these two things. Of course, there are a lot of other things that took place in redemption. But He wants to restore these two things, which is the authority must be given back to man, which does take place in the church. And also He wants us to change our understanding from being subjection slaves to coming to a place we recognize ourselves as heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. Amen? Now, it's a little difficult for some of us who transition from the, a mindset of being in subjection to a mindset of saying, I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. But that is where God wants us to be. To operate from that realm that we are heirs of a kingdom which He prepared for us. Therefore, we are kings with Him in that kingdom. Amen? So after the fall, we see the kingdom being reintroduced at the coming of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He wants to prepare the way for the coming of the Savior. What was his message? Matthew 3 and verse 2. His message is this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Say hello everybody. I got news for you. Times of India, Deccan, Herald. The kingdom of heaven has come. It's invading our fallen worlds. God is reintroducing the kingdom. Because that's what his heart was originally after. To have a kingdom prepared for a people. Who would be heirs. Who will inherit that. Who will be heirs with him. of it. So Jesus comes along right after John the Baptist. And his message in Matthew the 4th chapter and 17th verse. It says Jesus began to preach and to say repent. And the same message. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand means it's within your reach. It's, it's here. It's coming into your world. What is it? The kingdom of heaven and uh, as you and i read the gospels we see jesus speaking so much about the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven i mean yes he mentioned a little bit about the church but mostly he talked about the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven all his parables he said okay i'm going to tell you another secret about this kingdom he gave us a story gave us a parable so this is how the kingdom of God is like. And he gives us a parable to reveal and reveal to us a certain aspects of the kingdom of God. He spent most of his preaching and teaching on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, the fourth chapter, later on in that same chapter, just tells us about the ministry of Jesus. It says in verse 23, that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. What was he proclaiming? Good news of the kingdom. It wasn't good news of the church, good news of the kingdom. And I don't want to downplay the church, but I want to highlight the fact that the kingdom of God is very important in the New Testament. And we'll talk probably next Sunday on the relationship between the church and the kingdom. But Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and he healed all sickness and all disease among the people. Now, in the Bible, there is both the spiritual kingdom and the natural kingdom. And we're just laying some foundation here this morning. The spiritual kingdom has to do with the rule and the reign of God in the hearts and lives of His people. That's the spiritual dimension. And what you and I experience now is really the rule and the reign of God, the kingdom of God in its spiritual dimension. But then there is also the natural kingdom, the literal kingdom of God. Which we will see come in when Jesus returns and uh, at the battle of Armageddon. And he overthrows all the armies of the earth. And he establishes his kingdom from Jerusalem. And Daniel of 7th chapter is so interesting. Because it tells us that the kingdom of God will be given to the saints. It's like Saint Manoj and Saint you know, Anish. And the saints. And they will administer the kingdom. Amen. And that's what God intended. A kingdom prepared for people who will who'll inherit it, who will be heirs of that kingdom and, and help administer that kingdom. So there is a literal dimension of it, which will happen sometime in the future. But right now, you and I are experiencing and walking in the spiritual kingdom of God. And so that's what we want to focus on in the next several Sundays as we continue talking about the kingdom of God, the spiritual dimension of this kingdom. How does it affect your life and mine? On a daily basis. What does it mean to us? And when we conclude this series. We'll spend probably one Sunday. Talking about the natural literal kingdom. But our focus in the series. Will be on that spiritual kingdom. On God's rule and reign. In the hearts and lives of his people. So how do we enter this kingdom? We are born into the kingdom. Jesus said in John the third chapter. Verse three he said. Unless a man is born again. He cannot see. The kingdom of God, to see means to be a partaker of, to be a part of. So he said, you must be born again. And when you are born again, you partake of that kingdom. You become part of the kingdom of God. See, when you're born born again, or usually when somebody gets born again, our first thing is to introduce them to the church. Is that right? We try to find a good local church to plug them in. And that's a good thing. We must continue doing it. But really, when a person is born again, he is brought into the, let me hear you, he's brought into the the kingdom of God. And we really don't talk much about the kingdom that they have been ushered into. But I think we need to do that. We need to start telling people, listen, when you got born again, you are brought into a kingdom. Or as Paul put it in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he says, God has delivered you from the powers of darkness and he has translated you into the kingdom of the Son of His love, or of, of His beloved Son, in whom you now have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. So when you got saved, God did something. He transferred you into His kingdom. You are now in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is now within you. You have been born into that kingdom. Amen? So now, all our born-again life, the life that we now live as believers, should manifest that kingdom dimension that we have as believers. It should. And that's one of our objectives as we study the word of God together in the kingdom of God. We want the kingdom of God, whatever is in that kingdom within us, manifested in our everyday life. I want us to go to one of the parables that Jesus said. Now Jesus talked about several parables about the kingdom. I want us to go to one of it in Matthew the thirteenth chapter, verses thirty-six to forty. This is the parable of the wheat and the tares. He said there was a man who had a field. He bent out and he sowed good seed, good wheat in the, in the field. The wheat began to spring up. But an enemy came and started sowing tares in that field. The tares also sprung up. And then he, he concludes his story. The disciples come to him at a later point and say, You know, Lord, tell us what is the meaning of the story. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 to 40. He says, Then Jesus said, sent the multitudes away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. This is Jesus. The field is the world. It's the place you and I live in. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. So in a little picture, he describes to us the entire scenario of what's happening in the world right now and what will happen at the end. But I want to bring your attention to a few things. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is sowing good seed. And the good seed are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. So what what I want you to picture yourself as is this. You are a son. You are a daughter of the kingdom. You are a good seed sown into this world by Jesus Christ. Amen? You are a son of the kingdom. You are a daughter of the kingdom. He's put you in this earth for a reason. He sowed you on purpose. And He does tell us that there are, there are only two kinds of people on the earth today. There are sons of the kingdom and there are sons of the wicked one. No hybrids. You can't be both. You're either a son of the kingdom or you're a son of the wicked one. Full stop. You're either wheat or tares. But as a believer, you are a son of the kingdom. And you've been sown into this world. And what I want to in- highlight to you is this, that your purpose in this world is connected to the fact that you are a son of the kingdom. That's the only reason you're here. Amen. Having a good education is important. Having a good job is important. All that is good, but you are a son of the kingdom and your purpose, your mission on this earth is described by the fact that you are a son and a daughter of the kingdom. Amen. It's not defined by your education. It's not defined by your job. It's not defined by your career or whatever you're doing on the earth. Your purpose, your mission is this. You are a son and a daughter of the kingdom of God. And that defines everything that you do here. Your job, your education, your job, your career are all means through which you express the fact that you are a son and a daughter of the kingdom of God. God. They are the avenues, they are the place, they are the venues of where the fact that you are the seed sown by the Lord on the earth is being expressed and put on display. Amen. So this morning, just to conclude this introductory message, I want to challenge us with this. I want to challenge us on operating from a kingdom of God perspective. How would you live your life? How would you operate? If you saw everything from this perspective, that you are a son and a daughter of the kingdom of God. What would you do? Where would you go? What would you strive for? What would you invest your time and energy and efforts in if you saw yourself as a son and a daughter of the kingdom of God? And now that is God's plan. Because he wanted to prepare a kingdom for a people who would inherit it, would be heirs with him in that kingdom. And that's unfolding right now in you. You've been born again. You're in the kingdom. The kingdom is in you. So now the question is, would you and I live out of that kingdom perspective? Would you and I live as sons and daughters of the kingdom? How would life change if you and I lived from a kingdom of God perspective? Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about many other things about the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about the principles of the kingdom. We're going to talk about the parables of the kingdom so that we can understand what is the kingdom. How does the kingdom of God operate? We'll be talking about the authority of the kingdom. We'll talk about the relationship of the church with the kingdom. But as we assimilate this understanding, I want it all to zero in on this one thing. We got to operate out of a kingdom of God perspective. You and I are sons of the kingdom of God. That's our identity that defines our purpose in this world. A son and a daughter of this kingdom where Jesus Christ is king. Amen. So in your life group this week, I want to encourage you to discuss this. How would a kingdom of God perspective of things affect, alter, influence the way we live and operate? If all of us lived from that perspective, I'm a son of the kingdom. I'm a daughter of the kingdom. My life on earth is defined by that fact that Jesus Christ sowed me into this world. Yes, I'm among sons of the wicked. But I am a son of the kingdom. I'm a daughter of the kingdom. How would it alter? How would it influence what you and I are doing? I know we haven't covered everything that we need to know about the kingdom. But as we start discussing this, I want you to think about that. Amen? Let's rise to our feet. I want to call the worship team up this morning. So we take a few moments here. What touches me so much is what Jesus said in Matthew 25 and 34. He said, come you blessed of the Father. Inherit, inherit the kingdom which was prepared for you. God has prepared this for you from the foundation of the world. Meaning before creation, God said, I'm going to have a kingdom. I'm going to set this up. I'm going to have people rule with me in it. Be heirs with me in it. Amen. As you take a few moments to pray, I want you to begin to pray and say, God, my education, my job, my career, everything I'm doing, God, should really be something that describes or something that is touched by the fact that I am a son and a daughter of the kingdom as you stand here and take a few moments to pray, would you see yourself as a son and a daughter of the kingdom, with Jesus Christ as your king, and that you are really, that you and I have really been invited in to fulfill God's dream. What was it? He wanted to prepare a kingdom for a people who will inherit it, who will be heirs of of that kingdom. You and I are standing here today in time We are in that kingdom. That kingdom is in us. We are part of God's kingdom. Would you pray and say, God now show me how to allow this kingdom to pervade every area, every aspect of my life. And have a a look at everything from the kingdom of God perspective. Because this is in your heart. A kingdom prepared for a people. Can we take a few moments to pray please?